0: listeners and welcome to episode 32, 32. cuz yeah. someone has our notes <laughs> <in this> label <laughs> I do of, <laughs> of the Waver Dragons. Yeah, welcome. I'm Johnny
1: and I'm Kelsey and welcome and to the minisodes of the ready. spiritualist movement.
0: Today we're going to okay. be kind of continuing on where we're at or where we're at we're going to continue on with what we've been talking about yeah with uh, spiritualism today we're going to be talking about some famous spiritualists some famous people who were to debunked spiritualism
1: yeah yeah i hope everyone survived their thanksgiving or holiday hope everyone's ready for the full moon because this comes out on the last full moon of the year
0: dun so dun dun got that
1: got that folks so, about to get into the major holiday season, which is scary to think about. That twenty twenty two is almost over.
0: You know, it feels like it just started.
1: I know, it totally does. Like, it's so hard to just even imagine that. Like, the year's over. Like, holy shiznets, people. But yeah, so like Johnny said, we're gonna we're gonna be getting into some famous um, spiritualists. That kind of helped the movement in general. And then some famous people that were known for debunking people like Harry Houdini. I do eventually want to, will eventually cover Harry Houdini probably all on its own. So a lot of these are just going to be brief synopsis of these people. So the first person we're going to talk about is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He is the author of Sherlock Holmes. That's what everyone's going to know him for. Is he wrote the series of Sherlock Holmes that the movies are loosely based on. Um,
0: well, and the BBC TV series, which, in my opinion, was far more superior than the movies. But yes, we won't get into that.
1: <laughs> I loved that show. I think I watched that in like two weeks. But are you are you talking about the one with Benedict Cumberbatch? Yes, and Martin and, uh, Freeman. Yep, it, that is an amazing series. Amazing modern Sherlock Holmes, absolutely amazing. But I love those memes that came out when that show came out because it was always like smog and <laughs> smog and Bilbo meme.
0: I uh, yeah, I knew you were gonna go to that. Well, you know, and they're both um, memes to you as well.
1: Yes, yes. So like all those, all those memes came out like because the show obviously happens like way before these movies. <laughs> like. So when they came out with like the Hobbit and then the MC Universe movies, all these memes about the show that they did together before this, those memes are my favorite. Like it's it's great. Especially the Snickers ones where it's like smog and he's like Sherlock, are you hungry? Those are great. I love those. Alright. <laughs> Back to the main story. Um so Conor Doyle was very much interested in the spiritual realm way before the death of his son. He had a letter published in 1887 in the issue, in an issue of um, Light. It was kind of like a London spiritual journal that basically just kind of like said his views. Everyone thinks that his kind of interest in spiritualism took place like when his son died and that's not necessarily the case yes it got stronger but that's it's it was something that always was there and it just kind of got reamped once his son passed away so his son Kingsley and then his younger brother Ines they both died um after coming back from world war one from uh actually influenza so there's an influenza pandemic that happened around the end of World War I. And they survived the war, but they did not survive the pandemic. So after this, he kind of started attending seances. And then he started writing and then lecturing on spiritualism. Around this time is a time that he friends Harry Houdini. um, And they kind of become fast friends, very close friends. um, But unfortunately, this relationship does not last very long. Um, We'll kind of talk about this more with Harry Houdini when we bring him up. But basically, he was convinced that Harry Houdini possessed supernatural powers. He didn't believe that he was like this escape artist, that he did possess some form of natural, supernatural paranormal powers, which Harry Houdini himself did not believe. So he joins the Society of Cyclinical Research um, in 1893, um, and basically these people were prominent scientists, philosophers, number of members of parliament, and eventually a future actually prime minister. So he kind of starts in that and kind of gets involved in a lot of those things that happen. So he starts writing books on spiritualism after this. I want to say he does a lot of these after... He resurrects Sherlock Holmes around this time because he actually killed off Sherlock Holmes And then kind of doing this and writing all these books on spiritualism, like people asked him to bring it back, him back. But I will say, and I, I really want to cover this on an actual episode is the Connington Lee fairies. So he writes a book about these pictures.
0: I have read this book.
1: And there's a movie based on these photos. I've watched the movie. It's a great, it's a great movie. It's probably horribly representing what actually happened, but he does write a book on the fairies. It's these little girls that produce these photos with these beautiful fairies and stuff in them, and you eventually find out that they made it all up. But I did notice a big thing in the research in doing Conan Doyle was a lot of the people that he defended saying that they were real, that their powers were real, actually came out later as frauds that Harry Houdini busted <laughs> saying that they were fake. So you kind of have to take whatever he says with a grain of salt just because of everybody that he kind of backs eventually turns out to be a fraud. He writes multiple books on it. He does multiple lectures. He goes to seances with his wife. He holds seances with his wife type thing. But what he's best known for is the Ghost Club.
0: So is that so- like uh, is that like Ghostbusters or is it more <laughs> like Ghost Rider? Like the... PBS Kids cartoon that none of our <laughs> listeners have probably ever heard of. I don't even know if you've heard of that.
1: No, no. Oh, it
0: was, that was a that was a fun series with a group of kids. One of them found a ghost in a book, and the book the ghost didn't remember who he was, and so the ghost taught children how to read because he would rearrange letters and stuff and talk to them by rearranging letters. No, it was no. it was like a it was like a kids noir. Uh, series mixed with uh, learning words.
1: Yeah, no. <laughs> no. No. I would say they're more like Ghostbusters. So it's a paranormal investigation research organization. It was founded in London in 1862. It is believed to be one of the oldest such organizations in the world, even though the history of the club has not been continuous. Um, that's one thing I found with the Ghost Club and the couple of the other societies of like Um, like the offshoots of like the Society of uh, Cynical Research. There's like a couple offshoots that happen that those offshoots don't stay open continuously. The club is apparently still active and they investigate many ghosts and like hauntings. But the club has roots in Cambridge in 1855 where fellows at Trinity College began to discuss ghosts and um, psychic phenomenon. The one of the earliest investigations was the Davenport brothers in their spiritual cabinet hoax. The club challenging challenged the Davenport brothers' claims about contacting the dead. But the group continues to undertake practical investigations of uh, spiritual phenomenon, a topic back then that was in vogue. And they met basically to discuss paranormal topics. The Ghost Club dissolved in the 1870s following the death of um, Dickens, who is a famous author, Charles Dickens. I'm going to apologize in advance for my dog. Um, the neighbors across the street are doing a showing. So he's literally barking at every car that slows down <laughs> to park. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I, I might That's not right. be able to edit them out. Um,
0: Most people recognize. Most people would recognize Dickens from uh, Christmas Carol.
1: Yes. Yes. And did he write Moby Dick or was that somebody else?
0: That was, was that Dickens? Listen, just because they both have Dick in the name. I
1: was like, I feel like.
0: Uh, Moby Dick. No, no, that's Melville. Ah, okay. Uh, I was like, that doesn't sound right.
1: Maybe. Um. So the club was revived on All Saints Day in 1882 by the medium Stanton Moses and Arlick Alfred Watts. The Society of Cynical Research was basically at the time, it was a body that devoted to scientific study of paranormal claims. And the Ghost Club was the opposite of that. It like they, they're gonna believe you firsthand. Like, they're going to take your word for it type thing. But it was also a lot more selective and secretive. And it was an all-male group. No women. Um, But they basically wanted to convince believers about the phenomenon that was going on. So they're, like, they're trying to convince other people that this is real. Where the SPR is, like, this is not real type thing. The membership was very small for this club. It was 82 members over 54 years. Like I said, women were not allowed. But it was a group of like a lot of spiritual, big spiritualist movement people that were part of this ghost club. The archives of the club, which is held, I want to say, in the Museum of like London's Natural History, basically. But the archives revealed all the names of the members living and dead. On November 2nd of every year, they would recite everybody's name, living and dead. So those who were past... Are still considered current members because they said that they felt their presence like during this annual, like renewal type thing. But as we progressed, progressed into the century, you see more of the seance room kind of take over. So they kind of fell out of favor for quite a while. The club closed in 1936 after having 484 meetings. And it would remain closed until 1962. The club was relaunched as a, basically like a dinner dining event where people could discuss paranormal topics and women could be allowed into the club for the first time. So it was just kind of like a group. It became more of a club for like-minded people in paranormal research to come and have dinner with each other in talk to each other about whatever new research was happening or new phenomenons that were going on at the time. The next person we're going to talk about is Mary Todd Lincoln. So that is the First Lady to Abraham Lincoln. Um, I think everybody kind of knows the history with her. Well, so
0: I don't know if our international audience knows who that is.
1: I was like, I'm going to go into it. So Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States during the Civil War. Um, His wife kind of was a major, major player in the spiritualist movement here in the States. So throughout her life, she had a lot of loss, just like anybody else during that time. Three out of her four children passed, died of, you know, a young, young age so she first really turns to spiritualism after the death of her second youngest son william or willie february of 1862 willie was only 11 at the time and he passed of typhoid fever she basically becomes kind of inconsolable after this and she kind of just like everybody else at the time is desperately searching for a way to cope with the grief so shortly after his passing she's introduced to the Lowrys. they're at the time were a They were a group of well-known mediums that were located in Georgetown because they lived in Washington, D.C., which is the capital. So she found comfort in the seances that the group held and she started to hold her own in the Red Room of the White House. There's evidence that she might have hosted up to eight seances at the White House. um, And even President Lincoln attended a few of them. There's kind of controversy... On that, that we'll get into. In April of 1863, they hold a White House, uh, seance at the White House. And both the Lincolns are in attendance, plus a couple cabinet members and a medium named Charles E. Sockle. And a Boston Gazelle reporter, Prior Milton. This is one of the major seances that they don't really know if it actually happened. Or if the recording of this is actually a publicity stunt done for president lincoln's like reelection campaign but basically lincoln held a seance to talk to the spirits about the political problems that were going on at the time but they don't really know if it actually happened if it was just like something that they recorded and they kind of made up the story to go in the new newspaper so that he would become like an everyday man type thing like he's seeking the guidance of his ancestors type thing that's happening Around this time. But the White House does not deny that the seance occurred. So there might be some truth in it. You don't really know. But yeah, she she's one of the major, major focal points, excuse me, in the spiritualist movement in the US. She kind of was like, it kind of showed to the people that even the first lady is doing these things. So if the first lady's doing them, you can too. You know, it's perfectly acceptable. Even though her children told her to stop. Um, In 1870, she goes, she secretly goes to William H. Mumler. We'll talk about Mumler in a later episode. Um, But he is a spirit photographer. And there's the famous photo of Mary Todd Lincoln with her husband. With her husband's ghostly image standing behind her. But despite the fact that he is later accused of fraud... She requests for this photo anyway after he's been accused of fraud. She doesn't really care. But as the years progress, she stays with her only son, Robert. He's the only one that lives. He's the only one that makes it to adulthood. And he's very concerned about his mother's behavior. Um, in 1875, she, he actually commits her to an asylum because she just won't stop. Like, he kind of asks her to, like, back off. You're kind of acting like an insane person because she was just basically spending all from her money on mediums to talk to her her lost son and her husband so i i get it wanting to be able to talk to them i i i get it but at the same time just like now you have to be very careful who you go to because there are a lot of frauds out there even today
0: yeah as someone who's you know lost a sibling and multiple other family members i definitely makes sense
1: yeah like you want nothing more to talk to them again but you have a lot of people that prey on people like that so her son kind of is like you're going into asylum because you won't listen to me the next person we're going to talk about is thomas edison so he very <sighs> much starts the whole technology going into ghost hunting and proving the phenomenon is real he wanted to invent a an electric ghost machine and it would be able to detect the personalities of the dead basically he thought that you were made up of these t- uh, hundreds of millions of tiny particles which he wasn't wrong we are made up of atoms but he thought that each one had its own kind of like personality type thing which was a little funky and bizarre and that the the personalities as a collective could respond after death there's like an article that's released in Frobes at the time about the upcoming invention no real invention or prototype is ever found um unfortunately so we only know we can kind of speculate about it but basically he set up a photoelectric cell cell it was with a tiny pencil of light coming from a very powerful lamp and it obviously hit the light hit something else and you would the ghost would manipulate the light Um, it's no different than like the flashlight tactic that's we have nowadays where you loosen the top of your flashlight to where it's barely touching that battery and whoever you're talking to can manipulate the electric to barely get the battery on for the flashlight um
0: i did not know that was a thing
1: yeah yeah it's it's easier for like yes no because you can do like you know the two flashes for yes one for no type thing um yeah basically the invention doesn't really happen but earlier in his life before this invention happens he does become a part of the theophos say that please
0: theosophical
1: thank you society with Miss Helena Blavatsky that we've already talked about earlier um he does talk to her and kind of gets to know her but if you would have asked him later in his life he will not say that he was a part of that society he did not know her at all where she's like I know exactly who he is and he sat here with me multiple times and we've talked about things so believe who you want to believe He's been fascinated with talking with the dead and talking with the dead and resurrecting the dead kind of take over his life once he kind of gets into the spiritualist movement, kind of gets talking to these people. Later in life, his friend Henry Ford actually kind of is like you need to stop you're freaking people out. Let's talk about how about let's get into you to te- gets into telepathic. So he starts doing experiments with figuring out how people are telepathic, so like putting tinfoil on your head and electrocuting your head and like all these crazy experiments to figure out how telepathy is real. So he starts the whole EVP thing and then tries to figure out how EVP, how telepathy happens. Some honorable mentions Pierre Currie. He's a French physicist. Um, He's a pioneer in magnetism and kind of how that becomes part of the paranormal field with like electromagnetic fields. Him and his wife and a fellow friend in 1903, they win a Nobel Peace Prize. They're one of the first married couples to win a Nobel Peace Prize. And that's what starts their family legacy of winning Nobel Peace Prizes. But basically, in the late nineteenth century, he starts investigating the, mystu- the mysteries of magne- magne- magnetism. Magnetism. Thank you. And then he becomes aware of like the experiments that are happening, um, spiritualist experiments that are happening across Europe with magnets. But he thought that there could be like a systematic way to go about investigating the paranormal. He did attend séances, and then in- he attended one of. Espanaya Paldano in Paris in June of 1905. That is a whole fiasco with a lot of people that are involved in that. But he was there more as like to figure out how she was doing it type thing. Um, But his wife was actually a lot more into the movement than he was. He was just kind of there to kind of see how this was done. Kind of almost like a debunker type role almost. The next person we're going to talk about is John Franklin Gray. He is an American educator and he's one of the major pioneers in the U.S. of homeopathy and kind of reamping that in the U.S. He was a well-known prominent spiritualist movement person in New York. He was a close friend of the Fox sisters, actually, and the Davenport brothers. So he's kind of talked about in the books that I've read on them. But basically what he is known for is him and his wife would kind of hold a weekly dinner for all like the spiritualist people, the major people, head figures in this movement. And they would have dinner and talk about everything. And talk about like major social issues that were also happening at the time. Not just like spiritualist stuff. But that's kind of what him and his wife become known for. Is these dinners that would happen weekly. And kind of reamping homeopathy in the U S so the next person I'm going to talk about is Victoria Woodhull. So we have talked about her before and she is a major social figure in the U S in the suffrage movement. And she, some people say she's actually the first woman that ran for president. Not real sure about that some people it depends on who you ask because she wasn't technically a candidate but she ran so i don't know how that happened but she was an advocate for free love and freedom to marry divorce bear children um because having a child out of wedlock was a still a big no-no at the time and her viewpoints about a lot of different things kind of changed throughout her life like she's kind of very much open to a lot of different ideas right now And then later on in life, it kind of does a reverse. She basically goes from rags to riches twice in her life for being a traveling magnetic healer before she joined the spiritualist movement in the 1870s. And then with her sister, Tennessee Cafflin, she becomes the first woman to operate a brokerage firm on Wall Street. So that's how she gets rich the second time. She does have three marriages, um, which is kind of interesting um, to me. She gets divorced twice. But they are among the first women to found a newspaper called Woodland and Kaplan's Weekly. Um, that begins publication in 1870. But what she's known for in the spiritualist movement is she basically claims that throughout her life she is guided by Demothenus? She basically says that this Greek... He's either Greek or Roman. Person guided her throughout her life um, and helped her make every single choice that she had to make. She, he helped guide guide her. That's what she's kind of known for in the spiritualist movement is having a constant spirit guide. Like I said before, a lot of her views on a lot of different things changed. Um, we think her whole free love thing came from the infidelity of her first husband Um, canny and women at the time couldn't really divorce. Divorce was very much limited and it was very much a scandal. I mean, this woman was divorced twice, if you can believe that, which is kind of unheard of. So she thought that women could just, she'd be able to basically divorce regardless of where they, how they felt about their marriage. If it was loveless and everything, she very much felt that they, they could leave that marriage. But later on in life, her view changed. So take how you want. Like I said before, she's known in the spiritualist movement for her constant spirit guide. Even though later in life, like, she becomes super Christian and diehard religious, which is interesting. Because, like, later on in life, her views do a 180. But yeah, she gets kind of started in the spiritualist movement um, as a traveling clairvoyant and a fortune teller, her father exploits her in a traveling car- carnival show. She has always said that from childhood she's been guided and protected by spirits. She's also one of the people that kind of reamp homeopathic remedies and medicine in the US. Um, she teams up with the major doctor that kind of starts that again in the US. So those are the people that are just kind of major players in the spiritualist movement kind of help it get spread, help it kind of become wider in the world. Um, Especially Mary Todd Lincoln. She's one of the major people that kind of help it kind of steamroll in the U.S. with her holdings. The first debunker we're going to talk about is Harry Price. He was a British researcher and author, um, but he's basically known for his investigations into cynical psychological Cynical research phenomenon um, in exposing mediums. His most like publicized investigation was the Borley, Borley Rectory in Essex, England. But at 15, he founds the Carlton Dramatic Society. He writes plays. And one of the plays he actually writes about his own paranormal experience because he claims that he was haunted by a poltergeist in a house that he stayed at at the time. But basically, like he even says, this is an autobiography that like that kind of shaped his life. He starts to become an amateur amateur conjurer. He joins the magic circle in 1922, where he kind of has a long interest in stage magic, and this is what helps him become the investigator into fraudulent people. That's one of the main things I've I have seen in this research: is the fraudulent debunkers have a history of being a performer, a magician. So he joins the Society of Cynical Research, Spr in 1920, and he becomes known for debunking fraudulent mediums. And he does, he does think that some people are genuine. And in 1925, he establishes the National Laboratory of Cynical Research as a rival to SPR, so he branches off because he felt like the mediums that he were he was testing should be paid. I
0: mean, they, they should be paid while they're being yes. tested or they should be paid no. So in
1: 1927, he joins the ghost club where he remained a member of it. He's one of the reasons why it reopens. He's the person that reopens the ghost club after it closes. And he's the one that decides that women should be a part of the club as well. He's also involved in the formation of the National Film Library, which is now known as the British Film Institute. And he is a founding member in the uh, Shakespeare Film Society. In February of 1922, he begins testing the spirit photographer, William Hope. Basically in this experiment, which is kind of one of his more well-known cases that I'll talk about, he kind of like etches, etches into the glass plates that he gave William to use for this experiment. And at the end of the um, experiment, he doesn't find like the watermarks that he's basically put on each plate. And he finds out that William switched out the plates before the experiment began. That's how he exposes him. But he also is in part of the investigation of Aline Garrett, Rudy Schneider, Schneiden, Schneider. Helen Duncan, the Borley Rectory, Geoff, Jeff, Jeff, the Talking Mongoose. hes part of that. Um Did you say G?
0: Did you say Geoff?
1: Geoff, yeah, it's Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't need that nature. Gia, Gia, the Brockton Experiment, and um, a little ghost girl called Rosalie. So yeah, those are all the experiments that he's known for. The next person we're going to talk about is Frank. Modmore. He's best well known as one of the most influential members of the Society of Cynical Research um, in his writings on spiritualism. More than once, I mean, his books are about like debunking people, but basically, he gets tons of reviews, tons of great reviews for his books on his debunking because he kind of puts it in layman's terms so that everyone can kind of understand. Just like everybody else, he kind of. He thinks that some people are real and some people are, a lot of people are fake, but there's like 1% of people that are actually real. I'm not really going to talk about this, but there's a case of basically Miss Piper would have seances and he thought she was real for a really long time, but it came out later that she was fraud. Um, but basically he was set up to believe that she was real and kind of, there's a lot of undermining in his investigation that happens. He was very critical of Miss Helena Blavatsky. He debunks a lot of people in Heath I love this. So he thought ghosts were telepathic hallucinations. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sit on that for a second. (laughs) I'm like, so we all are on this telepathic hallucination together. All right. All right. I could kind of get with it. So the next debunker we're going to talk about is Harry Houdini. So, for those who do not know, Harry Houdini was a Hungarian-American escape artist, magic man, stunt performer, you know, that that's what he's known for. Like, Chris Angel and that fucking other dude. Like, that's... I forget that other dude's name. Um,
0: That fucking other dude.
1: I don't remember his name. Where he, like, locks himself in ice. That guy.
0: I have no idea who you're talking <laughs> about.
1: But... Basically, he's first noticed in the U.S. and in Europe on a tour that he's taking where he calls himself Harry Handcuff Houdini. Um, where basically he challenges police to lock him up and then he escapes from the locks. But basically, the longer he performs, the more extensive his escapes become. So we're talking, you know, straitjackets underwater, holding his breath inside of a milk a sealed milk can with water in it. Um, just crazy things. Straight jackets type stuff. And then in the 1920s, he slowly turns his energy to debunking psychics in mediums. And this this is where we're going to talk about the issue of Sir Conan Doyle. The issue that he has with him. So, like I said, all these people have had training in stage magic. So they know when people are like using sleight of hand type stuff he was a member of the scientific american committee which offered a cash prize to any medium who could successfully demonstrate paranormal abilities the prize was never collected he would often disguise himself when he would go into seances this is the one person i actually don't really have a lot of cases like well-known cases for because he was legit on so many (laughs) that there's no real like clear record of like how many people he debunked but he said he like debunked hundreds of people event that leads up to his friendship with Conan Doyle kind of dissolving is after the passing of Harry Houdini's mother Conan and his wife invite Harry over for a seance in their house and like I said before Doyle thought that Harry Houdini was like a very powerful spiritualist person Harry Houdini's just like that's not what I am But basically during the seance, whoever was, and I want to say it was Conan's wife, um, was doing spirit writing, which we'll talk about in the next episode. But basically like the spirit is guiding you what to write and Conan or whoever's doing spirit writing claims that he, they are channeling the spirit of Harry Houdini's mother. And Harry Houdini always claimed that he loved two people in his life, his mother and his wife. And the problem that Harry had with this is his mom did not speak English and the writing was coming out in English. And he's like, this can't be my mom because my mom legit knew no English. So that that's the main event that happens between him and, and Conan Doyle that kind of dissolves their relationship. It becomes a very public ending the two of them where it's very much in the papers and stuff because Conan Doyle just won't let shit go. Harry Houdini does start to write a book about the supernatural. He hires H.P. Lovecraft and his friend C.M. Eddie Jr. to write basically a book about debunking religious miracles and it was to be called The Cancer of Superstition. Basically Houdini had asked lovecraft earlier to write an article about astrology which he paid him 75 dollars for which is the equivalent of almost 1200 dollars now however the article does not survive but there is a detailed synopsis for cancer that does survive from lovecraft's like notes that we have so we know that there were details to write it just don't know if it actually made it there but basically like Harry Houdini kind of leads to a lot of modern people exposing a lot of stuff like Penn and Teller. So those who don't know, they have a show where they debunk magicians like they show you how it's done. If you've never watched Penn and Teller, I would suggest watching them because they're funny. Because it's like JT and Silent Bob. (laughs) Or one of them doesn't talk. Basically, he... Harry Houdini investigated hundreds of spiritualist people over his 35 years that he was investigating people. He used a lot of his street smarts and his magic, stage magic, to kind of debunk people. And it's funny, about six months after his, so six months before Harry Houdini dies, he's actually, he was actually in front of Congress proposing a bill that it would be a federal crime to be a medium. Because he felt like mediums, all mediums were frauds didn't matter who you were, but all mediums were frauds. But he, unfortunately, the bill does not pass committees. So Hayward Carnington is the next person we're going to talk about. He's a British-born American investigator, psychic phenomenon author. Joins the American Society for Cynical Research in 1907. But basically, he's just known for debunking people. His most well-known case is of Espinaza Paldado. He's part of the huge committee that goes to Italy to or Paris to debunk her. And he actually goes back twice because they investigate her twice because he feels like she's cheating. He comes out with a couple books about this debunking people um, where he debunks like slate writing, table turning um, and stuff like that. He just just like everybody, he felt like a lot of people were fakes, which he wasn't wrong. But honestly, he's best well known for for his weird diets that he did. Like the whole like caveman diet that's popular that was popular a couple years ago. Where he basically
0: the ate- Paleolithic diet. Yep.
1: Yeah. So
0: it's like what caveman you, <laughs> <in that? laughs> you know, where they eat cavemen.
1: Where they eat like nuts and twigs and nuts and shit. But honestly, that's kind of what he's best well known for is that is his weird diets, veganism. And stuff like that. So yeah, those are some well-known spiritualist movers and shakers. And then a lot of famous debunkers. You hear a lot about the debunkers. Because um, unfortunately a lot of people were fake back then. Not like anything's changed. But that's a story of for another day.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <laughs> for, that's for our off-week podcast.
1: <laughs> so, but yeah. So now we're going to do... Our tarot cards. Let me pull up my app that reads them for me. So, what did you pull?
0: I pulled the Ace of Cups. And the Ace of Cups is about abundance. Abundance in life. Abundance in emotion. Abundance in uh, self-love. Because, you know, that's why the cup is overflowing. Is because you have... Or will have more than it is needed.
1: So I think I pulled... I think I pulled the Nine of Cups. Because it says the Nine of Potions.
0: Yeah, that would be the Nine of Cups.
1: After a long journey, the Nine of Cups symbolizes the finding of self-satisfaction. The emotional journey of the cups is starting to come to a close after the vital ups and downs you faced in early numbers of this suit. You have struggled to find purpose and joy after loss. You have tasted the different things that life offers and you have left comfort in order to find greater heights. Here you have found them and you're indulging yourself as you celebrate this new stage in your life. So they go together again. (laughs) This week. (laughs) Again. So
0: what would you say that that means? Together? Yes.
1: What was yours again?
0: The Ace of Cups. uh, Abundance in things. Love. Abundance in emotion. Overflowing. So
1: I think after all the emotions that you've been feeling, because you've had so many of them, that they're kind of kind of even out. That like the overwhelming feeling that you're feeling is going to go away. It might not completely go away, but it's kinda kinda stable itself out.
0: I think you might be right. I also think that part of it for you would be because you've been mourning and dealing with a lot and Mm -hmm. you've got a lot on your plate. Yep. That it will again balance out. But you should also remember that you know, you're not doing it alone and that you are loved and cared for.
1: Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Because wedding planning without my grandma is quite hard. Quite hard.
0: I can imagine.
1: With all the emotions that come with that. That concludes this episode. We have one more episode episode of the spiritualist movement so our very last episode for next week will be about spirit photography the beginnings of evps two weeks two weeks sorry next episode yeah so the next the final episode will be about spirit photography evps how the how um evps kind of get started the kind of starting of the ouija board and other kind of spiritualist tools that they use So like the slate writing and spirit writing and stuff will kind of get into that so all the weird mediums that they used for spirit contact is what we will cover next week
0: sounds good so
1: tell your friends rate your view and subscribe you can find us on social media um, on Facebook and Instagram. I uh, I do run the YouTube channel. Um, I do unboxing of the couple kind of spiritual boxes that I get. So yeah, if we have anything that we've missed or I've messed anything up or if he's messed anything up, um, you have a book recommendation or anything, you can email us at thewaywarddragons at gmail.com. But please just rate, review, and subscribe. And please tell a friend... We greatly appreciate it. Yes. Greatly appreciate it. And
0: until next time, I'm Johnny.
1: And I'm Kelsey. Bye.